The GOP's gamble. The search continues for a new casino site in favoring cities over the country. These topics and more this week on Columbus on the Record. From the Battelle studio at WOSU at COSI, this is Columbus on the Record, WOSU-TV's weekly analysis of the top stories affecting Central Ohio. Joining Mike Thompson this week, Ann Fisher, host of WOSU 820's All Sides with Ann Fisher, Bob Clegg, Republican strategist, and Michael Daniels, co-publisher of Outlook Media. It took John Kasich only 140 characters to announce who he wants as his running mate. Kasich used the social networking site Twitter to announce that he that he would show, has chosen Mary Taylor as the GOP's candidate for lieutenant governor. Kasich and Taylor touted her fiscal watchdog experience. Taylor continued her criticism of Ted Strickland's budget, which relies on billions of dollars in federal stimulus money. While Taylor adds power to the Kasich bid, it leaves Republicans with a hole to fill. They now have to find a candidate to hold on to the auditor's job. Bob Clegg, why did he pick Mary Taylor? Because she probably is the best Republican to have as your running mate. She's very strong. She's a great speaker. She's done a great job as auditor. Um, she's been on the front lines criticizing Governor Strickland with what he's been doing with the budget, specifically using one-time federal money, which then results in even a bigger problem uh, come the next biennium. So I think overall, he decided that she was the best. She would be the most helpful in, in winning the election. That's, that's what it's all about. She's from Northeast Ohio. That geographically helps. Probably. I, I, think, I think it's a little bit sad if Mary Taylor's the best the Republicans have to offer for the lieutenant governor's slot. Um, but it might actually be a good move. It opens up, as you said, somebody to run for, for auditor. Um, because one of the things that Taylor's proven that she can't do is raise money for that race. We know Kasich will be able to raise money. She does add a fresh face and a fairly strong voice to the ticket. Um, but I think they were also worried that she was going to lose the auditor's race on her own. She's energized the Republicans. So they seem pretty excited. Sarah Palin energized the Republicans, too, and you see how well that worked. Well, <laughs> I'm not sure we want to compare Mary Taylor to Sarah Palin. Really? I think that would be a great show. I no. think we could actually do that. <laughs> I don't think so. But, I mean, it does. It, it's gender balance. It's geographic balance. It makes sense, except for it's, it is a gamble because they're giving up a seat that they now hold assuming the incumbent has the advantage. I think Mike's right about the fundraising, though. That's a big problem for her, and she doesn't need to worry about that uh, running as lieutenant governor. I also think that it makes it even more intriguing to consider who uh, Governor Strickland will uh, take on as his running mate. Um, you know, what do you, what do you stack up against that? Yeah. Speculation has been it's former Franklin County Judge Yvette McGee-Brown, no confirm or deny from anybody yet, but that's the situation. That makes perfect sense because, number one, she's a woman, and number two, African-American, and, and Strickland has always had that weakness uh, among African-American voters. They just aren't that enthused about him. Um, and I think they recognize that. I think they know they're going to have a, a big enough problem this year trying to get out voters to vote for the ticket. Uh, and I think he may be trying to do that to gin up some support. Well, number three and four, she's super smart, and she is uh, very charismatic. Um, she would be very good on the campaign trail. Right, but Bob, you're right. I think th th one of the things that Democrats are going to have trouble with in 2010 is just getting people excited about going out and voting f for anybody. Um, and 
I think that Yvette McGee-Brown does bring that to the ticket. There will be a lot of people who will come out and vote because she's on the ticket who might not show up otherwise. I agree with that. That doesn't give him any geographic balance. She's a central Ohio figure, very well known, very well respected here. But is that going to help him in northeast Ohio? Hey, he needs help everywhere. So, I mean, it doesn't really matter. I mean, uh, I think you could make the argument that central Ohio might be the place he needs the most help because central Ohio is the place that's gotten the most information of what he's been doing as governor, and it sure hasn't been positive. And she's best known here, and she's very well known here in a very positive way. Absolutely. Do people vote for lieutenant governor? If they don't care who the governor is. <laughs> I mean, um, really, I mean, we, this is a big splash this I'm week. I'm doubting it's, in this race they're going to be voting about the lieutenant governor's race. But it's one of those things in politics. You've got to pick somebody that won't do any harm. Right. Uh, and it's not necessarily helping. It's not hurting. Well, if ticket. it's energizing the ticket at all, then people yeah. are coming out in, in, in part, at least, because uh, of what the, the, you know, the lieutenant governor on the, uh, on the ticket. Um, the auditor's race now, there's been talk that Mike, they've asked Mike DeWine to run for auditor instead of against Richard Cordray for attorney general. He says, no, I want to be attorney general. That's what I want to do. That's my, that's my background. That no makes surprise. perfect sense. I, I mean, he, he's a former county prosecutor. Uh, you know, he, he you know, fits that race. Um, I think the Republicans, though, in, 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 in the overall picture here, I think they felt two things here. One being, uh, if you want to talk about the apportionment board, I think they feel good about the Secretary of State's race with John Husted in it. And I think they feel pretty good about the governor's race, and this just helps it even more. So if you're looking at the apportionment board, you're talking about those two out of the three. And I think the other thing, the, the other factor is they're looking at the political environment this year, and I think they're seeing it's such a good political environment for Republicans that maybe you can take that chance of having an open auditor's spot. Uh, if you're ever going to take that chance, this is the kind of year that, that maybe you can do I that. I completely agree with Bob on that. I think it, it does leave the option for Josh Mandel to move over from the treasurer's race. I mean, Mary, Mary Lou Taylor may have just saved Kevin Boyce's job. Um, but if, if Mandel moves over, he's a great fundraiser running against Pepper. So if they want to hedge their bets in the auditor's race. But I think absolutely moving somebody out of an apportionment board seat to strengthen the gubernatorial ticket pretty much says that the Republicans don't consider Garrison to be a factor at all in the Secretary of State's race. Pepper is David Pepper Hamilton County Commissioner. It's got a lot of money. Was supposed to be Mary Taylor's mm-hmm. opponent for auditor. He's the Democratic supposed nominee mm-hmm. at this point. Well. It'll be interesting to watch. Yes. It could be a bad year for incumbents in general, not just the parties. And Very that's much. What they were and and, and well. that takes care of one problem for the Republicans, because Mary, Mary was our only incumbent statewide, yeah. right. so she's not running for, the, for her office again. So it, it could help in that respect, too. You're right. Okay. Our next topic, one of John Kasich's campaign stands, is he wants to completely repeal the state income tax over the course of several years. State lawmakers are already considering such a plan to phase it out over 10 years. And so, legislative analysts took a look at what it might mean. As the AP reported, the Ohio Legislative Services Commission predicts the repeal would cost state and local governments and libraries $800 million next year and up to $12 billion in the final year of the income tax phase-out. The analysts don't really take into account what impact the savings on individuals will have on the economy. Bob Clegg? Is Kasich still going to go for this? Wow. What a analysis here. And, I, and I've read this article. They basically are saying that if you do away with the state income tax, the state's going to have less money. But it's un- Wow. That's, that's unbelievable. But they won't take into account any potential positive 
economic effects from that. They, they do note, though, at the very end, that, uh, th- that his tax proposal suggests that it would require deep budget cuts as well. Well, they're going to go on the limb and talk about the negative potential negative effects, but don't talk about any of the potential yeah, positive effects. Yeah, but budget effects. cuts come on top of expected many, many deeper budget cuts than $800 million um, in the next two years, you know, anywhere from two to, I don't know, I've heard things but like six and seven billion dollars. Yeah, but he's not proposing this with the idea that we're going to do away with the state income tax so that we can make a bunch of deep, deep, deep state cuts. He understands that when you do away with the state income tax, other economic activity occurs. I mean, what, what's our population growth been in the last decade? I, I, right, I, but, this, but this, this is not a good economic, I mean, uh, it's not just, I get the idea that you cut taxes, people have more money to spend. Whoopee. But right now, people, we're in a, you know, we're at the tail end of a recession, and even if we're coming out of the recession, the lagging, you know, the in- lagging indicators, unemployment, and, and all of that, people are saving r- money right now. They're contracting. I don't think it's going to show up as quickly as as it might otherwise in more flourishing times. I mean, this this is fantastic campaigning on the part of Kasich to be able to say, not only do I want to cut your taxes, but I want to eliminate them altogether. So it's fantastic as a concept. It's totally ridiculous. WOSU is not going to stop doing its fundraising week. Outlook is not going to stop really? selling advertising. Oh. That's shocking, Mike. They may have you stop doing it, but they're not <laughs> going to stop doing it altogether. Um, you you can't you can't. The house is built on this. The state runs because we have an income tax. And if you're going to say, you know what, we're just going to lift up the house, we're going to rip the foundation out, we're going to put the house back down, and we're going to hope that it stands there. But other That's states just ridiculous. Yeah. don't have income tax. Yeah, exactly. That's I mean, Texas. They don't now, Texas, but they've Florida. built up other, th- yeah. Right. That's what we're the, talking bigger states than we are, and they somehow can run a government without an income they tax. They do other things to raise money. Yeah. Well, right. But the, the question well, is you can eliminate the income tax, but what are the ideas to replace it? What revenue ideas have they come up with to replace that or to make up for some of it or at least get them through the And how the hard is it going to be? I mean, there's no doubt that you can run a state without an income tax, but the question is when you've, when you've built the entire infrastructure around having an income tax and you're going to start saying, okay, well, I'm going to take this brick away, how fast do you have to swap that before the whole thing comes down? Well, they are talking to phase and Kasich has, yeah. has backpedaled on his original plan, which was, what, five or ten years? Yeah. I forget what it was. He's now saying, because of the economy, that this is an uncertain date in the future. We'll gradually <coughs> phase it And, and they could change it even beyond that, depending on how bad the situation is when he comes in, which it will be pretty bad. Um, but the thing is, I mean, this, this is just not something that they're just coming up with out of nothing. I mean, you can and, and people do or states do run without any kind of an income tax. I mean, it's very doable. don't have an income tax. Florida is the biggest yeah. population one. Texas. Texas, well, geographic. There's a lot of part of Texas where there's nobody living there. But no, it has a bigger population, too, yeah. than Florida. But, for the but it's of, concentrated. Texas and yeah. Florida, the big population yeah. ones. You have Nevada, South Dakota, Alaska. Alaska Wyoming. doesn't have any taxes, Wyoming. <laughs> Same with Wyoming. No sales tax, no income yeah. tax. I don't know how they... New Hampshire. Well, he'll, you know. But Florida's in, in tough shape with no income Everybody's, tax. Everybody's... I mean, California's in worse shape, and they have a state income tax. So how much so does well, the income I mean, we tax can make matter that. to the economy, then? Well, That's my point. What? How much does an income tax bear on the economic health of an area? If one state which has it is doing poorly, another state that's having it is doing as poorly... Uh, does it make a difference? All I know, in Ohio, we have to do something drastic to turn the state around. And I think we need to start looking at ideas like this to try to do it. 
Ohio schools were just uh, ranked fifth in the nation. It, you know, a jump every year they've been jumping because they've been able to pour more and more money and they haven't been able to, they've just chosen to pour more money into the schools. Florida public schools, on the other hand, are not so well regarded by a long shot. And people have said for a long time, it's because they don't get enough funding. That would, t what would take one of the biggest hits? It would be uh, schools right off the bat because that's where they could take a hit. That's where they have discretion. Okay, we'll see. In a, other news in uh, campaign 2010, Lee Fisher continues to rake in the cash. The Democrat for U.S. Senate proudly touted that his campaign had a good fourth quarter and has three and a quarter million dollars in its account. The other candidates, Democrat Jennifer Bruner and Republicans Rob Portman and Tom Ganley, have not released their fundraising figures yet. Michael Daniels, Jennifer Bruner, still running this grassroots campaign, you know, web activity, going door to door. She's still in the race, even though we assume that she's raised far less than Lee Fisher has. Absolutely. I think that's a fair assumption. Um, I think it's also fair to assume that money helps you win general elections, but I'm not convinced that money absolutely determines primaries. Meeting people face-to-face -face and having folks in your party associate with you as a candidate, I think, is, is what wins primaries. Anybody who's counting Jennifer Bruner's ability to collect votes out based on her ability to raise money versus Lee Fisher is sadly mistaken. So it'll be close regardless of the money raising gap. It'll be it'll absolutely be close. And in fact, um, you know, I'll, I'll just go out there now. I think Bruner wins. So she's not going to leave the race then, I take no, it? No, I, I don't. Absolutely <laughs> not. People uh, agree? I agree with Michael totally. I mean, I think I've always felt gut that she would be a better candidate than Lee Fisher. And then this week, Rasmussen came out with the poll for the Senate race. And sure enough, Portman's beating Fisher by seven points. He's only beating Bruner by three. Um, and I'll tell you, she is not giving up. Uh, Governor Strickland and Lee Fisher have joined forces to cut off all of her funding. So she has no real funding sources here in the state of Ohio. But she's not putting up with it. She's going around the state. She's talking about what a disaster Lee Fisher was as director of development. She's actually saying when he was director of development, the state lost over 300,000 jobs. I mean, she's telling it like it is. And I think she's going to win it, win that primary. And I'll tell you what, he's going to have to spend, Lee Fisher's going to have to spend every single dime he's collected to, to win that thing. And if he does win it, he's left with no money and... Well, then the national money comes in because the Democrats don't mm. want, they want to pick up that Senate seat. For sure. They have a lot more Senate seats they have to defend this cycle than they yeah. can worry about Ohio. My uh, guess is Ohio's way down the list. Yeah. It's a chance to pick up one they might lose in, in Connecticut. Well, Connecticut, they probably won't lose it, but some other state they might we'll lose see. it. It's a primary is always a glorious thing. You'll find out what they really think of each other. And, uh, <laughs> it's going to be very educational. I think we already know what they think of each other. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Bob's exactly right when it comes to the fall. I really think that if you look at the, at the, the, the Democratic Senatorial Campaign Committee, they're looking at this. They're seeing that with, with Voinovich as a Republican in this seat, if we can pick one up, that would be great. But I don't see a ton of money coming into this in the fall. I think whoever the Democratic nominee is, is on her own. If it's her. <laughs> <laughs> all right, our next topic. Oh, where, oh, where will our little casino go? That's what we are all waiting to hear. Columbus is abuzz over the apparent negotiations between the powers that be and casino operator Penn National. The powers want Penn National to move its casino from the Arena District. Penn National says it is willing to move so long as it can get the doors open quickly. 
The latest speculation has the casino near Sayota Downs, but we've also heard Westland Mall, the Hilltop, the Continent, Cooper Stadium, Polaris, probably a couple others. And Fisher, news late on Friday, Penn National has bought the Arena District site. They own it now, but they still say they are willing to look at other sites. They're only buying the Arena District site because they have to to protect their interests. Of course they have to protect their interests. And, and, you know, a lot of people say, well, then if they really want to protect their interests, they won't move from the Arena District since a lot of people still believe it's the best place to put a casino no matter what. The question is uh, how quickly, you know, how shovel-ready is yeah. it? And, and it, it's not really a problem with the site itself as it is with the bureaucracy and, and the kinds of uh, uh, hurdles that um, the powers that be could um, throw up. But they did, they did confirm that. And uh, uh, Tim Wilmot, he is the COO and president of Penn National Gaming, is supposed to uh, address the Columbus Metropolitan Club on Wednesday at noon. And I think by then we'll probably know something. But clearly, if, if they were more leaning toward another site, and everybody wants them yeah. at those other sites, they're already, you know, ready, willing, and able, uh, particularly now uh, in Franklin Township yeah. where the uh, trustees voted two to one today to reverse their decision last week to uh, oppose a casino site in, in their area. Uh, everybody wants them, so they know that that's not a, a, a hurdle. The, 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 then why did they go ahead and buy uh, the property today? Yes, to protect their interests, yeah. of course, but... Well, they have, to, they have to buy it because not only do they have to find another site, they also have to convince voters to change the Constitution and, yes. in May or in November, likely May, if that's when it happens. So, I mean, they're hedging their bets, basically, and they have to buy the casino. Otherwise, they get shut out completely because the, the, the old owner of that property could then build a casino there. Penn National would be shut out completely. Uh, you know, and, and you know, people, it's, the talk is interesting yeah. because on one hand, people are saying, oh, I think it's going to go to the west side. I think it's a done deal. Or it's, you know, the, ra you know, the racetrack out in yeah. south, south of Columbus. Oh, that's where it's going to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, uh, you know, the, the people who are fighting the hardest against the casinos, casino-free Columbus, not stand-up Columbus, but casino-free Columbus, they're starting to say, it ain't happening. They're staying in the arena district. You've, you've got to get it put on the ballot, and then you've got to get somebody who cares enough to actually fund it. And nobody who lives outside of Franklin County really cares where the Franklin County Casino goes. So you're assuming that maybe you'd get Nationwide and the Dispatch Publishing Company to throw some money into a yes, please move the casino state campaign. Statewide ballot. But it has to go on a statewide ballot. Um, well, would you, you wouldn't need a lot of money unless... Right. The outside gambling interests jump in to try to muddy the water, which will never vested, happen. No, they've never done it before, <laughs> right. but they have every before, vested yeah. interest in doing it because yeah. if they can bungle everything up in central Ohio and stop yeah. them, you know, and delay, 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 yeah. all the better for them. And when, and when you look at all the casinos that are supposed to be built, the four, I mean, you could make the argument that the Columbus one potentially could be the most, uh, you know, uh, profitable mm -hmm. because you know we're we're kind of the island here. Uh, Cincinnati is so close to Indiana in their casinos. Toledo so close to Detroit in their casinos. And uh, Cleveland, and Cleveland's right there by Pennsylvania. So yeah, I mean this was the one virgin area uh, as far as casinos are concerned. Mm -hmm. So I think it's really important to Penn National that they 
get something built here. Um, I don't know. I kind of get the sense from Ann that she's saying you really can't trust what Penn National may be saying. I don't think that at all. I think they've said they've been very clear. And I think <laughs> yeah. what's going to happen in the end is if they do decide to stay in the arena district, they'll say, hey, we gave it due consideration. Yeah. We looked at all these sites. Here's all the reasons uh, why we're not going there. And that's what we'll learn about, you know. And if that does happen, I'll be interested to see what the city of Columbus does or right. does not do to try to prevent this from happening. And I, I'm not sure yet what, what, what they're planning. Is there, is there a chance that if it's, it is moved down to Scioto Downs, south of town, I mean, it's out in the middle of nowhere. It's, it's a, I mean, it makes sense from a, you know, from some standpoints, because it's, it's clean property. It'd be easy to develop. There's already gambling there. So the reason why we want to put it down there, because we don't want to hurt district in the arena district. They want to hurt business in the arena district. But might that that's going to pull money from the arena district, entertainment money from the arena district anyway. You can't tell me the casino's not going to have shuttle buses between the convention hall and say, Scioto oh, Downs. Yeah. You get the right conventions oh. and, and the um, further away yeah. you get, And the further away you get it, potentially, the more money it pulls from the arena yeah. district. Right. Because right. if they build it in the arena district, people are going to walk from the convention center to the casino, and they're going to yeah. walk past a restaurant or a bar or a club. Um, you're right. They're going to have shuttles. And if they build it out, what, whatever it looks like, the one thing we can guarantee you is it's not going to have windows and it's not going to have clocks. So once people get inside of it, they're, they're not going to leave. And no one, there, there's not going to be any bickering over whether they have free drinks or 24, right. 23 hours a day. Right. I mean, exactly. it won't be an issue. Uh, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. How about the irony of, of Columbus saying, we don't want the casino in the arena district, but if we build it at the Delphi plant or at the Westland Mall or at Scioto Downs, we want you to come join us in the, the city of Columbus. We'll annex your property. To, in Franklin Township? Yeah, well, they all have to annex that property to collect the 5% right. of the casino tax revenue the city gets. Right. Because well, Franklin Town, <laughs> it's all about money. It, you this know, has always been about money. It's all agreement yeah. so far, as far as I know. I haven't seen anything on paper. You know, all that, about and that's money. what I find so interesting about this is the, the, what's going on with the city of Columbus. They seem to be walking this tightrope, you know? It's like they want it, but they don't want to look like they want it because yeah. they don't want to, you know get certain individuals that are, you know, powerful in the city mad at them, you know? It's yeah. like, what are, what are they doing here? So place your bets. Where does it go? Uh, arena. Arena. Arena district. Wow. I say arena too, but... <laughs> Who cares what I'm you... I'm a conformist. <laughs> 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 uh, too much money's been spent already. That's what I say. <laughs> Topic five, an Ohio task force says cities need much more help than the country does. The Compact with Ohio Cities Task Force notes the growing number of vacant lots in urban areas. So the task force recommends the biggest tax incentives should target urban development. It calls for an end of tax abatements that help companies move just a few miles from the city to the suburbs. And it calls for the establishment of regional authorities that would fund regional transportation projects. And Fisher, should state government be taking sides in this city versus suburban rural development fight that we see often? Well, I think this is a bipartisan task force one thing, but it's also brought people in from all over the state. It wasn't, it's not just a state government initiative. It was put together by the Speaker of the House, Armand Budish, but it, it's certainly not uh, uh, limited to that. Uh, so the should or shouldn't, they've done um, task force on all different kinds of things uh, for a million years around here, and I've covered a lot of them, and I can tell you, they often don't lead to anything. <laughs> so the question is... <laughs> so lawmakers may not you act know, on this? You know, is that what and you're they saying? say this is a first of its kind. It may be the first of many, <laughs> I, you know. But yeah. but there's a couple there's a couple issues. One thing is it is bipartisan, and they did you know put out this group message. But immediately the dissenters in that group were coming out, in, including those who oppose um, you know different parts of of this whole proposal. 
the uh, state funding issue is one thing, but there's a lot of other stuff that could splinter it. So, uh, you know, for example, um, they already have something pending in the state Senate that would put a moratorium on the foreclosures in Ohio, a six-month moratorium or something like that. There's a lot of people that oppose mm -hmm. that. That could create, um, but it also could be leverage. It also yeah. could be bargaining chips and that kind of thing. Ultimately, the idea is not city versus country. The, the way they're pitching it is, if the cities are strong, yeah. the suburbs will be strong. And it really is why cities can't versus be, suburbs, why can't the, the How about the argument, <laughs> if the suburbs are strong and the city's strong? No, because the city center work? needs more, oh, okay. th that, you know, it's kind of that foundation thing I think you used earlier, I think. <laughs> I, mean, I like that. I think, you've, I think you've seen that in a variety of American cities. The suburbs can be strong and the city can still just be a train wreck. Yeah. Um, so I think that I think they are right. I think you have to build, and we're, we're at the point where we've we've built up the ring out here. At some point, we have to build up the center city, or the whole thing just implodes. Um, and so I, I, mean, I think there is going to have to be more investment in the urban core. Bob don't, Bob, don't we already have brownfield cleanups for city sites and things like that? There are things out there. Yeah, we're, we're already doing this. I'm bothered by the fact that I don't want the state involved in what I feel is pretty much a local. Uh, issue trying to attract businesses. I mean, I just don't think the states in in the that state's been involved in that. Well, I, I know with brownfields you know. and everything, right. and and I don't well, want them any more involved. Economic than there development. Is. There's a whole development department. Yeah. And they, yeah, they they deal with local things all the time. I think what's interesting is these regional yeah. um, forces that they talked about creating, and I think you know the townships will go ballistic for one thing. They don't want anybody you know yeah. uh, poaching on yeah. their territory, and that's been uh, you know dealt yeah. with before in the past. All right, let's get to our weekly off-the-record comments from our panel, some final thoughts, some predictions for the weeks ahead. Ann Fisher, you're up first. You know, um, before the holidays, the Dispatch uh, put out a, a very good series on domestic violence, and uh, it was very compelling. And, and, you know, in just a few days, it inspired the, the governor, nevertheless, including state lawmakers on both sides of the aisle, I believe, to say, we will change this. But, of course... Nothing's happened so far. There's not been a committee assigned to it, nothing. And, and so I think what they're going to have to do maybe is uh, create a bipartisan task force <laughs> that maybe like the Ohio Criminal Sentencing Commission, uh, more in the line of that, and, and see if okay. they can't get some unity on the outside before they bring the legislation inside. Okay, Bob? Uh, we're going to see uh, political chaos occur in, in the United States after uh, next Tuesday because you're going to see a Republican who will actually win the U.S. Senate seat in the state of Massachusetts. Not only a seat, but Teddy Kennedy's seat. It's one of the seven signs of the apocalypse. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually three of the seven signs of the apocalypse. Um, Despite the best efforts of those of us who are working on the, the complete count committees for the census, Ohio loses two, not one, congressional seats at the end of the day. Wow. That is Columbus on the Record for this week. You can check out our website. There you can get a preview of the topics we're going to discuss each week, streaming video of each show, link to our Facebook page, and also link to our blog. All of that at our website, wosu.org slash cotr. For our crew here at WOSU at COSI and for our panel, I'm Mike Thompson. Have a good week.